Howdy, online family. Thanks for tuning in to the Grace Church of Ocala podcast. We are equipping disciples who make disciples in Ocala, Florida. I'm Ryan Gagnon. We're going to be hearing today from Pastor Michael Lockstam for, as he continues our latest sermon series, The Co-Mission, God's Work Through Moses and Joshua. We've prayed about how best to meet our community with the gospel message of Jesus. We believe this digital component is a way of meeting our community here on the internet. That's you. We hope God uses it to both encourage and challenge you. We also ask that you serve a local church body. Remember, you can't be the church by yourself. God has done some really strange things. One of the strangest things he does is how he picks his team. Have you ever been on the field and picked teams for anything? The usual suspects definitely go first. The attributes are pretty standard. The fastest, the strongest, and even the loudest tend to get picked first. They are valued because of what they bring to the table. God picks his team pretty much the opposite. He shows himself strong in people that you wouldn't expect. This has been true since the beginning. Read through the Hebrew scriptures and you'll read stories about Joseph, Moses, or young David, and you wouldn't necessarily pick these guys first for almost anything. God did pick them and use them mightily for his glory. Today, Pastor Michael will tell us the story of a prostitute named Rahab, not someone that would be selected first. How God picked her and used her life. Listen as he explains some powerful truths of God's word and how he works to equip people. He asks a simple question. What is the leadership for in the church? The answer lands on purpose in a way that is both encouraging and convicting. Listen to me, I'm talking way too much. How about we hear from Pastor Michael as he explains from Joshua chapters 2 and 6 that our cooperation in God's mission is bigger than just our life. Let's listen in together. Good morning, church. Hey, there you are. Like, this building isn't going to answer me. Um, we've been going through this series, um, the, the commission. We've been talking about how, how Moses prepared Joshua to, to take over, how to lead the people of Israel. And so what we just have been reading this morning in Hebrews chapter 10 and Hebrews chapter 11 is how the baton is path, the faith and Hebrews chapter 11 is this incredible book. I encourage you to take some time in it this week if you're not familiar with it. This incredible book where the author takes apart, you know, this is what God did in this person's life, and this is how they responded to God in faith. This is what God did in this person's life, and it was completely different, but this is how they responded to God in faith. And this person had a different experience with God, but they also, hey, responded in you got the idea. It's a really interesting chapter. But in those verses that Pastor Todd just read for us, who, who, did we, who was the characters that they were talking about? Who were the people that are named? Nope, not that, Edmund. Moses, all right. So Moses, Israel, the people of Israel, uh-huh. Anybody else got their name in there? Hmm? Rahab. Hey, 
I'm, I'm, I'm looking at this from a selfish end because we've been talking about Moses and Joshua and we're in the middle of this transition and so we see Pastor Todd and this Moses figure and I'm like, okay, well, what's Joshua doing? And I read this chapter in Hebrews chapter 11 that talks about all the great things that Moses did in responding in faith to what God is doing in his life and you, I'm like, all right, all right, we're getting ready to hand off the baton. They're getting ready to hand off the baton and he goes, and Jericho fell down and Rahab responded in faith. As the guy who's kind of rooting for Joshua in all of this, he, he doesn't even get his name in there. And so the question that I had this morning was, uh, who's Rahab? How come she gets her name in the spot where Joshua's name, in my thinking, should be? Talks about all the things that, that Moses did, and then there's this one mention about the people and the, and the walls, and then it's Rahab. And, and what's, what, what, it's not just Rahab, right? What, how did they identify this woman? You're going to have to talk. I can't hear you. She's a prostitute. You can say that in church. It's in the Bible. So I wanted to figure out, and I wanted to explore with you, why the prostitute's in the spotlight in Hebrews chapter 11, this great hall of faith. And so to do that, we're going to turn to Joshua chapter 2. And that's on page 144 in these Bibles that we've got here. If you'd like a Bible, you can take it home with you as a gift. And in this one, we're on page 144. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you for the ways that your word challenges our convention. The way that you describe the world is different from how we expect it to be described. And we thank you for that. We thank you that you use people that we wouldn't necessarily have expected to be used by you. And we thank you that you're here this morning and we're here this morning with your word. So Lord, we ask that you would speak clearly, that your word would come forth and burn its way into our souls and our hearts and anything that I say that's of myself, Lord, that that stuff will be forgotten real quick, but that your word will endure in our hearts because of our time with you this morning. It's in your name that we pray and ask. Amen. So before we read, I just want to point out that in Joshua chapter 1 was what Pastor Todd preached last week. It was the literal transition. Moses is dead. He's not going to cross the river. So God has a little sit down with Moses and says, hey, be strong and courageous. The first thing you're going to do is you're going to cross the river, and then you're going to take this big, walled city, impenetrable fortress that we know as Jericho. So now, in chapter 2, the scene shifts because we read in chapter 2, verse 1, And Joshua the son of Nun sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute, whose name was Rahab, and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, the men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Okay, I'm going to pause there real quick. So they're getting ready to go in and start this military campaign. Joshua is the military leader, and he decides to send out two spies. 
Now, I don't know whether he should have done that. I don't know whether it was the right thing. There's people that want to argue about that, but the fact of the matter is that the Bible says he did it, and this is what's happened. So he sent two spies into the land to get the lay of the land. It's, you know, I'm going to turn the lights on before I walk into the room because who knows how many toys are scattered around there. He's going to send spies into the land to see what's going on, especially Jericho. So these guys go into Jericho. They went and they came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and they lodged there. Seems like an odd decision. The text doesn't say whether or not that this was a bad decision or good decision. It just says, that's what happened. There's no hint of impropriety in what they did, but this is where they chose to stay. And it was told the king of Jericho, hey, behold, those, those Israelites, those people that had that great miraculous like exodus out of Egypt, they all left because all of the gods of Egypt couldn't stand up against their one true God. Those people that have kind of been, you know, spinning their wheels and doing donuts in the desert for 40 years, like those people, hey, they're coming. And they sent spies into the land. And they came to our house because they want to see what's going on here. And they're trying to find the weak spots. Hey, you guys realize these are not very good spies. If you're going into a city and the king knows you're there and he knows where you're staying, you're not doing a great job. Right? Okay. So the king sends a note out to Rahab and said, hey, I know what's going on. Let's read it. And the king of Jericho sent to Rahab in verse 3, saying, bring out the men who have come to you who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and had hidden them. And she said, true, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. So these spies are staying with this prostitute, and the king sends to the prostitute and says, hey, I know who you've got staying with you. Bring them out. She says, yeah, they came, but now they're gone, and I'm not sure where they went, but they weren't very good spies. So if you leave now, I'm sure that you can catch up to these guys. They, they could only do one lap around the sanctuary um, before they got out of breath. So you'll be able to catch these guys. So they do. It's, it's a diversion. She hides them on her roof, and the roof was like a flat roof. It wasn't unusual for them to store stuff. It's kind of like our houses. Any flat space that you've got gets piled up with stuff. This is where they stored flax, which is a kind of uh, like wheat. It's a plant. They just had it chopped up and laid out to dry. So she hides them. Doesn't say whether or not it was a good thing for her to be dishonest about it, but it says that that's what happened. And at this point, we don't know why. We know we've got some really bad spies, and we know we've got kind of a disreputable woman who's doing disreputable things. She's being dishonest about what is actually going on. And so you kind of wonder, like, Joshua, this is all happening on your watch, buddy. Like, things are not going well for you right now. He doesn't know about any of this yet. But this woman, this woman is Rahab. This is the prostitute that gets mentioned back in Hebrews 11 for having really good faith. Are we comfortable with the fact that God could admire the faith of somebody who won't come into a church building on Sunday morning? 
Why would God do that? Let's read. Joshua chapter 2, verse 8. So before the men, these are the spies on the roof. Before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sihon and Gog and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, that's a very specific name, by the way, for the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. What's Rahab's confession? What's what's her faith? What does she see? She sees an all-powerful God who's active in the world, and when God is moving through his people, the kingdoms of the earth can't stand up to him. They're devoted to destruction. And this is like real. (laughs) We're talking about real nation states. We're talking about a city who sees another city get burned to ground by the army, and then that army just kind of walking around the desert for 40 years. I don't really get what's going on with that, but now they're coming, and we're scared. Like our life is on the line. These people are going to kill us. And Rahab sees that and understands that it is not the prowess of that army which has caused so much destruction, but it is the Lord God, creator of heaven and earth. Now, do you realize that God has bent over backwards to form this people that's wandering around in the desert and now coming in? He set apart Abraham and said, I'm going to bless you. And then Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And then Jacob, you know, he's got four wives, which whatever. And then 12 sons, and those become the tribes. And there's hundreds of thousands of people. And like, these are God's special people. He pulled them apart out of the world. They did not know God, and now they do know God. And now they're trying to do what God's business is. And God's business right now is to get rid of the people who don't know him, to wipe out all the people in the land so that the people who do know him have a place to live. It's the eviction notice. You can't be living where I've appointed for my kids to live. It's kind of like that, isn't it? If I owned a house and I had renters in it, but then Camden grew up and needed a place to stay, this is the eviction. Like, you guys got to get out of here because my son needs a place to live. That's exactly what he's doing, right? But what we have here is somebody who has no claim on the house in Rahab. She's somebody who's far from God. She's somebody who doesn't have God's promises. She's somebody who doesn't know anything about God except that when he acts in the world, things change. And she says, I don't need to know all the details of how this works, but that is the God that I fear. I will betray my own city 
to follow that God. So what happens to her? I'm going to flip a couple chapters simply because we're going to deal with some of this next week. But we're going to go to Joshua chapter 6. And uh, spoiler alert, in chapter 6, Jericho falls. Uh, The whole city gets destroyed. But I want to go to the end of this um, in chapter 6, verse 22. So just flip the page. Joshua chapter 6, I'm in verse 22. But the two men who had spied out the land, but to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belong to her as you swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought all her relatives and put them outside of the camp of Israel. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it. Only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. Verse 25, But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent out to spy Jericho. This is a woman who had no claims on God. God, I don't know you. You don't know me. I've not been living for you. My reputation goes before me. I don't have anything that I can lean on that can commend myself to the Almighty God. But I have this opportunity to serve you by taking care of these men who have no idea what they're doing. And I'm going to do that because I, I, I want to trust you. And now Rahab, who had nothing to do with God, is brought into the people of God and lives with them. Joshua saved her alive. So, so what? Like we've been talking about Moses, we've been talking about Joshua, and there's this transition thing, and now there's going to be a bunch of battles, and God's going to do some really, really cool stuff in some really unconventional ways. So what does he, he saved a prostitute. That was nice of him. Why does it matter? Why does the life of one young woman in a city that was devoted to destruction matter? She's not a leader. She's not even a church person. She doesn't even have a really good reputation. If you look at Matthew chapter 1 in the New Testament, And I'm not going to turn there, but if you look at Matthew chapter 1, there's a whole list of names. But that list starts with, this is the genealogy, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. These are all of the ancestors of the people, the the bloodline that God used to bring the Savior of the world to earth. And there's a list of all, like there's Abraham, dude that had promises. There's lots of good people on that list. You want to know who else is on the list of people in Jesus' family? Rahab. You realize that Moses was from the tribe of Levi. And Joshua was from a completely different tribe too, but that the promises about Jesus came through the tribe of Judah. Moses and Joshua, who were leaders of the people, were protecting what God was doing in the tribe of Judah and including Rahab in that. Moses and Joshua, I'm not going to be able to say this because it's so true. Moses and Joshua are not the point. 
It's not about the people that are leading. The people that are leading are conduits for what God wants to do in the normal people. It's not about the people who get to spend so much time in the ivory tower and get to comb through God's word and get to ask hard questions. What God wants to do in those people is provide a conduit for normal people. That's what the church is. When I said good morning church this morning, the building had nothing to say because it doesn't matter. You are the church, and you are what God wants to work through. And the leadership, as we transition and work through all of the complex intricacies of what it looks like to be an organization, it doesn't matter for us if we forget you and what God wants to do in you. A woman who has no claims on the promises of God is in the lineage of Jesus. Somebody who was outside the camp saw the fire of what God was doing in the camp and wanted to be warmed by it, and Joshua let her in. It seems like a really insignificant thing, but God gave Joshua the wisdom to say, yes, this woman I'm going to use. And she came in. And she became a part of the family, the family with eternal significance. That's all the trees, though. So our cooperation in God's mission is bigger than just our life. And I say that for Pastor Todd, and I say that for me, because we've been talking so much about the leadership. The leadership is important. It's a framework through which God protects the work that he's doing in the lives of normal people. Our cooperation in God's mission is bigger than just our life. But I want to take you one more place. I'm going to ask you to turn there to Ephesians chapter 4. In, ca in case you think that I'm just taking a story in the Old Testament and filling it with a bunch of meaning for us today, I want to take you to Ephesians chapter 4. It's on page 812 if you're using these Bibles, the story Bibles. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body to grow so that it builds itself up in love. So in, I'm not going to go through all the context of this chapter because I've already used a lot of your time, but what I want you to understand is the picture here is of a, of a victory parade. And Jesus comes back from conquering death 
big deal, comes back conquering death and he's like throwing candy at a parade, like giving gifts as he's walking down proclaiming the good news of I have defeated death and I have won you back to God and here are gifts to celebrate and I'm doing a parade and I'm throwing them out and the gifts that he gives are the apostles and the prophets and the leaders of the church. The gifts that he gives are the people to lead, which is odd for me to say as one of those people. The only reason I say it is because it's in the text. And I want to understand what God has said. He gives the gifts of the people for what? To equip. So hey, this is a bow tie. Have you, you guys seen a bow tie? I've got a tie on now. This, um, this bow tie in particular was a gift. I actually have the same pattern. I found that picture. I was pretty excited about that. So this was a gift that my lovely wife gave to me for Christmas, I want to say, two or three years ago. So Pastor Todd, no, this is temporary. <laughs> I'm going to give you a gift. All right. All right. Now, go ahead. <laughs> See, Jesus gave the apostles and the pastors and the teachers and the people who are in leadership of the church to be able, he gave the gift to be able to equip you to have the skills to do what God wants you to be, do in your life. The person who was far away from God, who had no claim on God, came into God's family because they saw what God was doing and wanted to be part of it. And so God gave them leadership that would teach them his ways that would teach them how to follow him and give her the skills to be able to lead her family in a way that she could use the gifts appropriately to build up the body. And so in giving the gift, my lovely wife also gave me the challenge to figure out how to tie one. And to tie one without a mirror is another challenge. So we'll see how this goes. But the gift isn't just like the Christmas present that you unwrap and then, you know, you got to put batteries in and it just goes. The gift that God gives you as a normal person are leaders in your life who are going to help you to grow in Christ. The, people, the gifts that God gives you are the people that are going to equip you to be able to tie the gifts that you, that you got. And that's what Grace Church is. And that's what our commission is that we recite on a weekly basis. Our cooperation in God's mission is bigger than just our life. Your cooperation in God's mission is bigger than just your life. And so if you're somebody who is far away from God and feels like, man, you know, I don't have that much better of a reputation than Rahab, you realize, you do realize, that she gets grafted into the family of God she gets into Jesus' genealogy as part of his family and gets to Hebrews 11. Years and years and years after the fact, you realize her reputation is still Rahab the prostitute. That's still how they identify her. And yet what God has done through her and her family washes all of that clean. Her past reputation is clean. So if you're somebody who is far away from God and says, God, I just, I screw up and I continually screw up and I know something about you. I can see that you're working in other people's lives, but I don't know if you can do that in me. But I see you working and I want to trust you and I want to believe you in what you're doing, but gosh, 
I can't. Let me tell you that God's invitation is to come into the family. If you see that fire of what God is doing in the lives of other people, understand that he wants to warm you with it yourself. And if you're near to God or you are drawing nearer to God and you say, yeah, I trust Jesus for salvation and all of those things, I want you to understand that the leadership transition that's happening is not about my pride or his pride or our history or any of those things, that it is about God wanting to work in normal people like you to equip you to use the gifts that God has given you. It's not a faith that you can sit here on Sunday morning and be done with and walk away from and say, I'll pick that back up next Sunday. It's a faith that changes who you are, changes how you talk to people, changes how you think about people, changes how you work, changes everything. But the process of change happens in a community. It's not something that we do by ourselves. The Holy Spirit is powerful, and he chooses to work through the voices of the people that are around you. So here's our so what. As we come to the end of this, you've got connection cards there. As you're reflecting on how God is speaking to you this morning through his word, are you somebody who's far off and and says you're not worthy to be in God's family? You're not sure that you can get into that? The invitation is open. If you're somebody who is like, I trust Jesus and I'm in the family, but I don't know. I don't know that I have this all worked out. I need people to come alongside. Well, hey, God's provided people to equip you for the growth that he wants to see in you and in his church. So I'm pray now, and we'll take a few minutes as we reflect and write down on our connection cards, and there's a basket in the entryway to share those with us so that we can pray with you and follow up with you on those things. But let's pray now together. Thanks again for listening. We hope you've been challenged, encouraged, and helped by God and His Word. If you want more information about Grace Church of Ocala or would like to get in contact with us, please visit our home on the internet, ocalagrace.org. And if we haven't met yet, we hope to talk with you soon.